And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And this week, I've Whoa. never I've never said this <laughs> in my life, but I've got my boss on the podcast with me. <laughs> no, I'm not your boss. Don't make me feel old. Not in old terms, but in terms of... <laughs> ah, it's true. How can I reword that? Um, what can I say? I've got my mentor. Yeah. Yeah. My mentor. I've got my mentor yeah. on, on the podcast with me for the first time and and it's great and yeah everyone welcome um a special well, I can't say everyone it's a, it's a recorded po- oh my days I've, I've, I've you've fluffed my lines now um, you know, <laughs> everyone, uh, it's been great to no I've, I've fluffed my lines but now let's carry on I'm not going to edit this out because it's great I've been looking forward to getting um, this person on the podcast for quite a while now I've read her work and watched her work for a good number of years and um, really looking forward to having this conversation with Miriam Walker Khan. Thank you for joining today, Miriam, and thanks for making me fluff my lines with by saying, "Oh, you're, I'm not your boss." You technically <laughs> are my boss in a way, so yeah, I'll, I'll accept it. We'll get on to that, but no, I'm not. Don't make me feel old. But thank you for having me. And, no, it's, it's all good. You haven't been looking. You haven't been reading my work for years. I have. You I haven't. I have. I have. And I have. I have. I have. I swear I have. I, I swear I have. And I've been watching more than reading, to be fair. So it's actually quite true. Um, yeah. Really? I, I, yeah, man. I, I read a lot of people's work and people are like, really? I'm like, I actually do. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just quite odd. So yeah, I've been quite pleased to get you on the podcast and to be working with you, which we'll get on to later on in the podcast as well. But yeah. Um, no, first of all, I just want to say thank you for joining and thank you for taking the time um, to speak to me today as well. Loving the background um, as well. I do have to say um, that picture of J. Cole is quite quite refreshing. Is that Muhammad Ali on the wall as well? Yeah, it's like Muhammad Ali talking to a reporter. Oh, and okay. then that's Kathy Freeman. Mm. And then this is just someone who's got like a funny slogan on her. Sorry that I won't repeat because it's a swear word. This okay. is uh, George from East is East. Yeah. Uh he's 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 saying you all bloody shame me. I don't know if I can say bloody, but I said it now. You can say this bloody, is... it's fine. That's all good. <laughs> and then this is Tupac. And then this is Amy Winehouse. And yesterday I was on a Zoom call, right? And someone was like, Is that you holding a banana? And I was like, What? And what? I was so confused. And then it's a, she's holding like a yellow pay phone, and I was like, What? That is not a banana or me, sir. But um, it's kind of funny, so I'll take it. Yeah, it's, it's odd in that way, in that way as well. I don't get that at all. Um, <laughs> but no, thanks for having um, the time to speak to us today as well. I really wanted to get into a few things with you. So just to let the listeners know, we are going to be talking to you, uh, to you about how you got into journalism and into working into um, the heights that you're at, which is great to see. I also want to talk to you a lot more about a brand new project that you've got coming up as well. So I really want to hear more about that. Hint, hint um, regarding the boss comment. And yeah, uh, a few fun moments from your times in interviews, working with people, your writing, your work and everything in between. I'm looking forward to hearing your your answers to my questions, which which is great fun. And as a reporter and as an interviewer and as a journalist, do you get interviewed yourself quite a lot? No, and I I don't like it. Like, really? not that I don't like it, but I, it makes me really uncomfortable because obviously I'm so used to being the one to ask questions. Mm. And when you when you have to be interviewed like this, it it really makes me realise that I take it for granted how difficult it is because, like, I just waffle. I really just waffle. So, I mean, this is not like selling the next 35, 45 minutes, whatever it is, but um, I try not to waffle. Yeah, it That's makes me That's absolutely fine. 
take your time with these as well because with me i'm looking forward to asking you some very easy questions and some very difficult questions as well um oh gosh it's all good we'll start with an easy one so first things first how did you get involved in sports journalism and how did it kind of come about with your career path basically miriam so basically i did athletics when i was younger um yes. from the age of like 10 till maybe like 20 21 22 kind of like trickled that off a bit at uni um and it was when I was injured one year at uni my my someone I knew from athletics in Sheffield had set up like an athletics media website called Vinco Sport and I started he just was like oh do you want to write something and um it was about a pole vault from Sheffield called Luke Cutts and I was like I just found it crazy that I could interview someone that I knew Mm. And it was like work experience. I was like, this is so sick. And then it just escalated. And like after about a year, I was the editor of the site. I was like interviewing literally like my heroes, like Usain Bolt, Johan Blake, all while I was in like second, second, third year of uni. Um, And then I still like, I finished uni. I did English at French at uni. I didn't really know that I was already doing sports journalism because I didn't know anyone in the media it wasn't like, oh, this is like an actual career path. I just thought I would just do the stuff with Vinco and then I don't know what I thought would happen, but I never thought, oh, I'll go into the media because I was just like, how would you even do that? Yeah. And then I ended up doing like an MA in broadcast journalism because it was the first year they brought in the postgrad loan, which I was lucky. Yeah, I was like lucky. And then I could live at my mum's in Sheffield. And then... um like that course was incredible I learned so much like everyone else was like they knew they wanted to be a journalist but I was like doing the course because I didn't really know what else I was I didn't know what to do and then I was like oh wait I love this like this is what I want to do and then I applied for like the the BBC's got like a journalism trainee scheme and they've got like a sport traineeship and then I got on it and I like honestly that still blows my mind because I'm like I don't know how no I do know how like I'm always like oh I was so lucky but I did a lot of work experience. I did a lot of working for free. Um, yeah, at that point, I'd done loads and loads of work experience. So, yeah, I just, I think the key to all of that is just like, I loved what I was doing. I think some people like force their work experience and then they don't like what they're doing. But I mean, obviously, this is the coolest job in the world anyway, so it makes it easy. But I just love it. And um, I think that came out in everything I was doing from my interviews to when I was being interviewed by the BBC for the first time. So yeah, that's how I got into it. Nicely done. And that doesn't sound like waffle to me. So if you were waffling, it's some world-class waffling, but I don't think you were waffling (laughs) there as well. So nicely done with that, Miriam. And it's great to um, really hear how you got into it, which is fantastic. And I did mention before as well, and you may not believe me, but there were a couple of reports that you did that stood out to me when I was like, okay, I have been reading your work for years and I'll name two of them. One of them, I think it, I don't think it was a, a an article. I think it was more of a video report. It was the power of the hijab for Muslim girls in sport. And I was like... Yeah, how did you know I did that? Do you mean, that? That was me. At the time, I was like boxing more than I was like working. I was like forever just like boxing at the time. And it was great. And I was, I was working full time. I'm not a, I'm not a dud or anything like that. But I was, I was spending more time focusing on my boxing than I was on um, anything else in my life at the time. And I remember seeing that. And I was like, this is great. This is crazy. And I remember seeing it. I was like, yeah, this isn't a name I've heard before. Um, your name, obviously. And I was like, yeah, this is really cool. And I was trying, I was in that, in that mode when 
you know, when you try something new and then you want to tell the whole world about it and then the whole world doesn't reciprocate and then you're just like, yeah. okay, cool, I'll keep it to myself and it's going to be my thing. And that's what yeah. I continue to do when I was doing boxing. And then I saw that because I was boxing around um, probably January 2017 to probably around the lo- the first lockdown, so March 2020. And this came out in 2018, I think, around in the springtime as well. So I was mm-hmm. looking at that and I was like, yeah, this is quite cool. And then it kind of gave me a bit more inspiration to continue boxing as well. And I was still trying Aww. to like still trying to like mention it to people. I was like, yeah, anyone could do boxing. And then people were like, yeah, anyone can, but not everyone does uh, wants to do it. So I'm like, okay, cool, fair enough. So that, that was the one thing um, that I mentioned about with your writing. That's, so when, that's sorry, crazy because, sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, so that was the first one of the, the things. I've still got two more to mention to you. So that's part one um, of how I knew your work. Um, but yeah, sorry, you were going to say. So I was going to say, that's so weird because that is my, that was my first piece of like BBC work. For, no way. for TV but and it's funny because I pitched that story in my interview for the traineeship Seriously? so that that literally got me into the BBC but also um I actually didn't do the TV piece so it went on TV as well as like the online video and I wasn't allowed to report on it because mm. I had no reporting experience and they they put someone on it uh, my friend who they were like tra- they said they're trying to develop her so they put her on it, but like I did all the interviews and stuff. So like it was weird for me because it was like a big, a big lesson. Like I learned a lot from that whole situation. But um it's one of my proudest pieces of work just because I remember I was doing like a talk at um it was like an NCS talk in these few years ago. And this teacher came up to me or lecturer, I think it was like first year students, and they were like, Oh, we teach this in our sports sociology thing like we use this video and I was like what and honestly like, I nearly cried because I was like what do you mean you use it like so it blew my mind and um so yeah like it's it that means a lot to me that piece of work so it's nice that you said that don't worry it's only part one of three of me actually going back and <laughs> remembering what you did so we'll get on to part two in a bit as well but um literally you got into sports journalism sports reporting as well I kind of need to know there's a few things I need to know first things first um this is something for you to think about before we go on to the first part think about your five aside of footballers that you've met and you've interviewed that you can name me later on but the first question i want to ask is they have to be in any do they have to be in formation no whatever formation you want it's five aside imagine they're just like power league or something or like in the favelas in brazil but that's something for you to think about and literally just going on to it as well how did you kind of get into going from athletics to reporting on it obviously meeting your heroes you saying Bolt, Johan, Blake, et cetera, et cetera, to working for like BBC Sport in the football side of things. So it's highlighting women's football, highlighting um, footballers in, from ethnic minorities, the academies um, that you mentioned about the people getting released from that. How did that all come about for you? And what did you kind of really learn from that um, as well, Miriam? I guess because sport is sport. So when you work in um, BBC Sport, you have to know about every sport and like obviously you're not going to know like I don't know properly about golf and like rowing like there are loads of sports I don't know about properly but you have to have like an understanding of everything but especially football like football is the main sport obviously it's our national sport so and actually I've played football growing up just at school and stuff like I was our school team was sick like we were um like I was really bad at football but um our school team went to like English schools we got in like the semi-final like uh, we had some amazing players on that team I was just there because I was rapid and they were like you just kind of 
defend and I was like mm. I was so are you like a right back like yeah and, and listen I, I couldn't even call myself that because I just stood there like and I just like run every now and then but I was awful but like they they appreciated my speed so I was in the team um and so yeah and I think because when you grow up in any sport you know other people who do sport so like football and just the stories like academies for example like you said like I know those people who are in academies so that meant something to me as well like when you know people that have been through these experiences it's easier to want to work on them um and like I love women's football in particular and also my dad um he's never like been around but he was a footballer um so he was like semi semi pro and obviously he's Pakistani so that like I always grew up hearing, hearing those stories about the racism that he'd been through in his career so it was all kind of like it's just all part of me anyway and I think it was just easy to like I don't you know I don't pitch stories about like the actual football I pitch stories about what's going on around it and the systems and like the sociological is that a word the the those yeah, the aspects, social aspects of it yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm more interested in. Um, but also I support Chelsea women. So it's like anything to do with them. I want to be, I want to be working on. So, um, do you have a men's team you support? No, nah, I don't support a men's team on purpose. Oh, okay. I don't. Oh, but okay. My boyfriend supports Liverpool. So he's trying to like force it onto me. Who do you support? United? I, yeah. I, I'm a Manchester United fan from London. So yeah. Uh, just another one of them, unfortunately, but it, it is what it is. It is what it is, um, <laughs> which is all good. And this brings me on to part two of my, um, my understanding of you as a reporter as well. So Friday night counter-attack started in October, 2020 during the lockdown as well. I had recently been let go from my job. I did not like the position that I was in. And I thought, you know what, let me try. Well, I got another job straight away, which is fine. Uh, God bless. And then I ended up started, starting a podcast with my friends called Friday Night Trek Quatistas, which you then changed to Friday Night Counterattack. And I think rather a third or fourth episode, we did a topic called racism in football. Mm-hmm. And September 2020, a month before, you had a story where it came out with racism in football. Where I believe you talked to uh, Emil Heskey. I think it was Chris Hewton. And you spoke to different people from across literally football, not just footballers, but you spoke to reporters, women footballers, people working in the industry as well. And that was also something that was quite inspiring to me when I thought, you know what, if that's something I want to talk about, because I felt I was racially uh, discriminated in my workplace during the pandemic, but it Mm. is what it is. And we move forward and we learn from it. And you had a a really serious report on literally talking to, and you spoke to Anita Asante as well, the England player, the defender as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part two of me learning from you as well. So how was that coming about for you as well? We're actually learning from different people and different perspectives as well um, regarding racism in football uh, for you, Mary. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, sorry that you went through that at work. Um, it makes us stronger. Cool. It, it gives us life lessons that we move on from as well, which is good. So it is what yeah. it is. But but no, thank you for that. You shouldn't have to. Um, Definitely not. So I, I went freelance, obviously not knowing, but like maybe like six months before the pandemic and one of my first projects was to be the reporter on that racism in football piece and my editor at the time he's uh, like one of the best bosses I've ever had he's called John Buckley he was he asked me to work on this piece about like racism football and we were going to interview 10 different people from all aspects of the game refereeing media players etc coaches um and 
yeah, like we started it before the pandemic and we only finished it because of the pandemic, like in the August or September time. Um, and that, and it was, again, like one of the proudest things I've ever worked on just because it was so like, we, we just wanted to do something different. We wanted to be like, okay, what what do these people actually feel when they are going through that? Let's actually think about them as humans. Let's not talk about someone... Let's not talk about people throwing bananas on a pitch. Let's not talk about bans and fines that are never enough. Let's talk about how this impacts people, like through their eyes in all aspects of the game. And um, it was one of, you know, like I, I posted um, when I left the BBC, that's my top interviews on Twitter. Yep. And that Heskey, the Heskey interview was like, honestly, one of my favourites because it, we were just having like a real honest conversation and I loved Heskey growing up. I loved him so much. Like I just, I don't know why, like maybe I, maybe I'm a Liverpool fan, but I've just loved him. And, or a Leicester fan. Like, yeah. But we'll Definitely say Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, I just remember like talking to him and being like, this is crazy. Like that he's, he's trusting me and he I remember he said like oh no one's ever asked me that question before and that's when I was like okay this is something I want to do like pe- the fact that I'm like 12 well I'm not 12 I'm like 28 or 9 29 mm. but the fact that I was 27 or 26 or whatever at that time and I was asking him things that he's never been asked before I was like something's going wrong in in sports media for him to say that like why has no one ever asked him that, that? so I think that made me realize like I really wanted to work in that kind of area and I didn't know until then like I was doing a lot of diversity equality equality stories I didn't know that I wanted to really do that because you don't want to get pigeonholed but then I was like ah this is important and like Chris Hewton was amazing Anita is always incredible like she took so much sense when a lot of people don't um and just like the referee like everyone was amazing and it was just it was just a great project to work on and be like look here are people here are their stories um yeah I just remember just really loving that project uh once again it doesn't sound like waffle to me so if it was waffle nicely done there Miriam but no obviously <laughs> it goes to show that as well when when you do kind of feel like if you're doing a diversity piece you're you're kind of pigeonholing in a way but like you said if Emil Hesky hasn't been asked that question even after his career finished as well it's crazy to see and he was a player that if I remember correctly when I was watching England as a as a as a child was racially abused at the Santiago Bernabeu, um, literally for being black. Literally, it was racial abuse that the Spanish fans were doing to Ashley Cole, Emil Heskey. I think uh, Kieran Dyer was another one as well. So that was something that was really uh, important to talk about as well. And unfortunately, um, his teammates couldn't speak up at the time or his team, uh, they didn't really speak up at the time, which is really worrying to see. So it's quite yeah. serious. And, it, and it's mad topic. because he'd obviously, at that point, he'd been going through it for years like when he when I interviewed him he was talking about something that happened when he was maybe like under under 16 or he was right he was really young when he first got racially abused on a football pitch so like at that point he'd probably been going through it for so long that he just was like numb to it so yeah like when you think about that and then you think about like what yeah why hasn't anyone asked him certain things before but um yeah oh my god I, I love that project I loved it nicely done and like i said it inspired us for a i, I have to send you the link it was, it was some random podcast we did and it was like episode four it's one of our favorite ever episodes that we did um which was good fun as well right yeah, i've given you 
I've given you time to think about your um, five aside for the best, uh, well, the best footballers you've ever interviewed. So um, I'm ready to hear it. Who have you got, Miriam? Are they going to be a mixture of men and women? It can be whatever you want. The choice is yours, my friend. Okay. I'm going to say first, Heskey. Yes. I'm going to also... Um, I'm going to also say Ji So Yun because mm-hmm. she was one of my favourite interviews ever because she sung karaoke to me. Oh, my days. And obviously, who doesn't want that, especially when you support her team? Um, so, also Gary Lineker. Yeah. Because, I mean, if I'm going by, I don't know if I'm going by players here, if it's mixed, but if I'm going by the interviews, I was one of my favourites, even though yep. I literally just laughed at him for like 10 minutes. Like, and I that was actually... a Bend It Like Beckham interview, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I barely spoke. I was just like laughing. I was, I was just like in my element. They're the and best then... type of interviews, honestly. Yeah, but when I watch it back, I'm like, this is this is weird. Like, it's, it's still on iPlayer as well, recording. so you can watch it whenever you need to as well, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Um, And then, so I... So, I was in a Sam Kerr interview. So season zine, who I write for, we, so this was when I actually, I actually wasn't working for season, but BBC sport did a project like partnering with season. And it was like my life in five pictures with like WSL players. So we did interview Sam Kerr. It was Flo Lloyd Hughes was like the interviewer. And then I dipped in for like three or four questions at the end. So I wasn't really interviewing her, but obviously she's my favorite player in the world. So I'd definitely say, and I asked it if she had watched Bend It Like Beckham. Um, so I'll kind of cheat with that and say, Sam, who am I? Who, have I got five? Have I said four? You've got four. So you've got one more left. Um, who else have I interviewed? Who did you interview recently in Paris? Not recently, but around November. Oh, <laughs> Pateas. Yeah, she's gone in there. Yeah. Why did I forget that? It's because it wasn't BBC. It was for like Lego. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Pateas, Alexi Pateas, definitely in there. That's a solid five-a-side team. That is solid. That's quality, that is. That's all I'm saying. Like, that, it, on in their prime, they would actually turn up on a five-a-side yeah. pitch, which would be crazy as well. And Obviously, now, got- three of the best women's players in the world. But like, that, but... That's, imagine if that team played up to play, turned up to play you. What would you do? You'd just be like, nah, I'm done. I've got an ankle injury. Something's happened at home. I've got, yeah. go. I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> My That's house on fire, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with that. See, I'm you've so done you've done that. quite well with that, which is crazy. And it's it's really nice to see because it's been a big it's been a big factor as well in hyping up women's football, not just on the BBC, but in in the general public as well in England as well, which is fantastic. But I'm gonna go back to Round three of my my enjoyment of your work and of your writing as well. We're going to take you back to, I think it was the summer of 2021. The Euros uh, were happening and you made a nice little report about a boy from Brent. And that was a tagline for the rest of the summer in England. The boy from Brent who ridiculously gets criticised or vilified in the media consistently at every international tournament. But besides this mm-hmm. one where he is basically looked at as somewhat as a as a hometown hero for scoring at Wembley against Croatia, uh, Slovenia, if I remember correctly as well, and Germany, of course, as well, Raheem Sterling. How was that to do? How was that as a report to do for yourself, Miriam? That was... Oh, you're picking all my favourite work. I love this. It's like... I, I mean, if it. it's your favourite work, that means I've got good uh, good style and good choice yeah. as well, which is good. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, like I forgot I did that. It was honestly one of my... How, how is it your favourite work and you forgot to do that? You know when you just forget like what you've done? Like It feels like ages ago when the Euros was on. You I just spoke forget. about playing football as a child and you played at Old Trafford. <laughs> you played at Old Trafford, Miriam, which we'll get onto in a bit. I'm not letting you escape the podcast without talking about that as well. Uh, uh, but no, sorry, um, Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling. Oh my gosh, yeah. I loved it because those... so. The article that I wrote, it was on a program called Shorthand and it's yeah. like not the normal BBC Sport article. And there's only like two or three of us in BBC Sport who know how to use that program. So I'm always like, I was always asking when I was at the BBC, can I use Shorthand? Can...? And then my boss came to me and he was like, can you write this and can you use Shorthand? And I was like, yes, I can use Shorthand. So it's just all the pictures and, you know, when you scroll and the pictures merge and then we got the illustration. It's like an Apple website, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's amazing and all the illustrations like were by uh, were by someone called Kingsley Nabechi and like we we had a call and I was like this is what I want and just the fact that I could own it all and like collaborate with people but just like mold it into what I wanted like I loved it because it was like we were telling his story hopefully I don't know if you've read it but we we were hopefully telling his story in a way that hadn't really been told before and we were looking at the media and we were and we were yeah we were obviously he's probably not a big fan of the media and we were examining that and being like okay why like what have they done and when you think about how the media had treated him like the fact that he does any interviews like if that was me I'd be like I'm not talking to any media anymore so like good on him for still doing stuff but that whole project I love it like I've got I'm about to put the um the illustrations up in a a bedroom because they're just beautiful and Kingsley is like an absolute genius um but yeah I just loved it and it it took me like I had three days to do it and I spent (laughs) I spent a day I really struggle concentrating and focusing when I've got a deadline so I spent a day and a half maybe just like procrastinating and not doing anything so I just likewise like, we're, we're, not not for your <laughs> not for your work not for your work for other work for other work I procrastinate so I need to get that out of there oh god I shouldn't have shouldn't have said that um we'll but yeah, yeah yeah I, I get I get your thought process for procrastinating I can I can it's relate hard. to it in some ways it is, even, it is when quite you, difficult. even when you love it because like it's just hard to be like okay this is a huge project and it's like how do you tell William Sterling's story in in three days like how do you get it all on the page but once I got into it I was really into it and um it was like the first thing I've ever I remember I, I was at, I was on like a TikTok panel on the day it came out yep. and I remember not having my phone on the panel and then I went back to my phone and it had blown up because there was um a BBC news notification about it so people were clicking on it and seeing my name and being like mate have you seen this and I was like oh my god this is incredible so just the fact that BBC News pushed it as well I was like that is really cool because you know it's not it's it's talking about things that are kind of deep and like it's great that they wanted to push it yeah honestly it was fantastic because it was at the time as well when uh they were talking about Black Lives Matter after the whole pandemic as well the whole George Floyd thing uh and you went into some serious detail as well about the whole gun tattoo as well the Daily Mail talking about the difference between Phil Foden buying a car and another academy player um, from Manchester City who's um, who's black actually buying it and the difference in the writing as well which I remember yeah. was crazy to speak about because it's something that you normally see on like social media being pointed out but the fact that it was on Prime BBC it was fantastic to really see and to appreciate as well uh, which was great and I love the pictures at the end um, whereas I think that it ended with like him and his son taking a picture 
and it was just like a really nice yeah. and really sweet way of, of doing it as well all that stuff like it take like when you're building that page because the production side of it is that you have to you literally have to choose like where the fades are in the photos like how long the photo is is there for like obviously the order of all the photos and I would sit and be like is this the right position of the photo should it's that a storybook like, in a sense really an interactive yeah. storybook which was great and that's why I love it because you get you get all that choice and it could it could take me like 20 minutes to decide where's that picture going to go but I loved it because it was just like it's like the the editorial decisions of photos which I love so um yeah sorry I'm waffling now but I loved it and like shout out to my editor who asked me to do it because like he he trusted me to do that and I think that um made gave me a lot of confidence I kind of needed at that time definitely confidence I need to hear about now is how you stepped foot onto Old Trafford and played uh in a Manchester United shirt Oh, there's no confidence there. <laughs> I need to hear about this. How did that come about? Because it looked like an end of season game as well that you were playing. But you said you were you were pretty decent at football with running as well. But how did that come no, about? No, I didn't say I'm decent at football. I'm not decent I, at football. This I, is not what I, I said. I heard that. I heard it may have been I said a, I'm a, rapid. If you had line me up, if you line me up against everyone who was playing that day, I'm gonna say I'm I would have beat ninety-five percent of them in a race. However, I need, I need to have a race with you soon. It needs to be done. Yeah, I'll race you. Cool. Let's do I'll, it. I'll, I'll, I'll race as well. It'll be, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, it'll be crazy. I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this because I'm not even fast as well. <laughs> but boys uh, always do that. They're like, cool, I'll race you. I'm like, cool, let's go. Let's go. But, on, my, um, on, on my wedding anniversary, we were, we were walking through Cambridge as well. And I was like to my wife, I was like, oh, look, there's a car. Do you want to race? And she's like, what? I was like, you, let's have a race. I was like, oh, God. That's what I mean. Just randomly. Well, it just comes I mean, out of I'm nowhere. Serious. Yeah, I'm serious at random times. But no, sorry. How did that come about playing at Old Trafford um, for yourself, Miriam? Because I just personally want to know about this. It's quite cool um, being a Man United yeah. fan seeing that. It's so random. Like, honestly, I don't know how I get in these situations. It was like um, a charity game, I guess, with Shivas Regal, like the whiskey brand. Oh, okay. So they had done a couple of things. Actually, uh, there's one, there's one, I'll show you. Like, <laughs> so it says, they gave me this thing and it says Miriam Khan. Oh, wow. So this is the whiskey thing. I don't drink whiskey, so like I haven't touched it. But um, yeah, they let me play Old Trafford. So um, I don't know much about whiskey, but yeah, they have. They were like, it was like a charity thing and there was those people there. Um, who was there? So they did, one the, they did one the year before that was at Hotel Football. Um, which is like opposite Old Trafford, and yeah. like missed missed the rapper was in my team. He assisted me. I scored a goal because missed assisted me. That blew my mind because I you, obviously if you're Asian you love missed in it. So I mean I was you, like, you have to represent some someone from Birmingham if you're if you're Asian. It's just like part of the culture. Yeah, but the way he, he like raps in Punjabi, like I love missed. So um, that was crazy. And then the next one it was like Old Trafford, and I was like. I'm not fit enough. I, like I don't do exercise. I can't. I can't be running around Old Trafford. So I literally was like. Says so a thought former athletics athlete. As well. I know because I can't. As soon as I quit athletics, I just stopped. Like everyone's like, "Oh, you must be so fit and healthy." I'm like, "No, I just stopped exercise because it bores me. If if it's not training, it bores me." This so is mind games to... for the race that we've got coming up later this year. So <laughs> I'm prepared. I for need it. to get in. Yeah, you, yeah. I need to get into it again, but. Um, yeah, so then we were just playing. Like, I, I would not say I played... Obviously, I played at Old Trafford, but it was for literally, like, seven minutes. Mm. 
because I was like, loads of people wanted to play and there was too many of us. So people getting subbed on and I was like, you guys go first. And then some guy, I think he's a rapper. I, I don't know his name, but he, to- he took one of my boots and then um, I had one boot. He took my boots. He took both my boots or one of my boots. Anyway, um, I only played for like seven minutes because I was like, I'm not fit enough for this. And that when you're playing with, if it's mixed properly, it's kind of all right. But when you're playing with like, it was probably like 90% men. Yeah. And it was me and Rosie um, Kamita and Molly Kamita and like they are actual ballers. So they were like on the whole time. And then somebody somebody called me Rosie at one point as well. And I was like, guys, now you're going to be disappointed if you think I'm one of the Kamita twins or triplets. So um, yeah, it was. I would say that I loosely played Old Trafford. That's all good. That, that was nice to hear. That was a good story about that um, as well, Miriam. So now we've gone through that we've got two more projects i need to talk to you about one of your most famous projects recently and this is where i told you before the recording that i've got something to share with you as well when your <gasps> project was mentioned uh the bend it like beckham one as well i was actually in miami um, at the time with university which was great and uh mark clements had an interview with phil neville the inter miami manager and you also had some work on that same football focus episode as well. It may have been Benedict I Beckett, it may have been another report as well. Um, but that was the first and only time we've shared credits on Football Focus. You obviously being oh. a reporter and me being a production assistant. So my name was That's on there, sick. which is quite cool. Yeah. So I, I was That's helping nice. Mark. We had ha- worked on the same show. Yeah, we were on the same show in different locations, which was great. I, I was somewhere in, in no, no, I was in Fort Lauderdale in Miami, which is great. That's, a lot, like, that's a lot better than be, me being in... Salford Keys filming that, by the way. Yeah, I'll it's true. That. I was talking to Phil Neville about does he miss Manchester? He's like, he's, he's like, nah, not a chance. I'm, I'm loving it here in Miami. I'm like, that's all good. His scout. Did you ask him about the England team? No, nah, I didn't ask him because they were like, you're, you're only here as a production assistant. Let Mark and Phil. And <laughs> Don't I was get like, into a debate. <laughs> yeah, I asked him two questions: one about Manchester United and one about um, how is it, how is it like in Miami as well. And it was really good fun. It was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, I had it recorded. So when I came back from Miami, I got to watch the episode in full. And I was like, yeah, it was quite cool seeing my name with like, I think it was uh, Dan Walker still presented as well. Alex Scott was on there. Your name was on there. And my name was on there as well. I was like, hey, this is quite cool. Um, I, didn't take, I didn't take a picture of it, unfortunately, but um, that's my one and only time I shared, um, not screen time, but um, work time uh, with you as well. So yeah. I'll, was, I'll get a picture for you because in like the BBC system, obviously I'm not there now, but I'll get a friend to go in, yeah. put the date in and take a picture because you need that. That's cool. Yeah, I always forget about cool. credits as well. Like I didn't even know they had Exist. me on credits on that. So that's cool. Because that was the yeah, same time that you did your Bend It Like Beckham um, work as well. You did it, I think, two weeks before I had that conversation, but I think it came out um, on different times as well. I want to hear a bit more about that because obviously you had your interview with Gary Lineker who actually made a cameo in Bend It Like Beckham and how important was the response um, to that whole process that you did with Bend It Like Beckham as well? Right, it blew my mind because uh, Pete, like I wanted, I waited so long to even pitch that because I was like, this could be huge mm. and like no one really shared the excitement one producer was like this isn't going to work as a documentary like just do it as like an online thing and I was like I think it's going to work as a documentary but obviously like what do I know like I haven't produced documentaries actually I've done one but apart from that I hadn't um so I was like I was very stubborn with it because I was like guys I really think this is going to work like you're 
taken for granted how many people love that film and how many people are affected. Not even just women, men, not just South Asian people, people, anyone who does sport as a woman, you love that film. Um, so, by the way, can you hear my earrings slamming on my head part? No, I can't. It's no. all good. Um, but yeah, so the fact that it was only meant to go on like the BBC News channel like once and then it just blew up. It just blew up. Like it went, it ended up going on a, its own podcast on Five Live. It went on BBC Three, went on BBC Breakfast two days in a row. There was like, I think it was like a Daily Express article that was like, why are they still doing Bend It Like Reckon? Mm. Um, it was like reviewed by places like a French magazine wrote about it. Um, so it the reaction was crazy. And I like, it was nice because I was like, okay, I feel confident in my decision to be really stubborn with it and, and persist with it because I could have been like, cool, I got a bit rejected. I'm just going to leave it. But I was like, now nah, this is the best film ever. So we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk, we're going to use it to talk about the lack of South Asians in football. Um, but yeah, the thing is it was, we could do that and we could celebrate. So it was like, I loved it so much because it was just like chatting to a lot of my mates who just happened to be like the best voices on it. And then like the Gary Lineker interview, like obviously it was just really fun. And like getting to show him that clip was so fun because I don't know when he'd last seen it, but he genuinely reacted like in a really funny way. So I loved every second of it. I loved it. And I, and, um, I recently watched it back for the first time with my dad and my grandma and she was like she's pretty old now but she was like that's you on tv first of all I think she hadn't seen me before and she was like and there's like a woman in a hijab and like you're talking about brown people doing sport like she was a bit like and to see her like I honestly nearly cried because she seemed genuinely like shocked but really excited and proud so that meant the world to me yeah no, it did a lot of good as well. Like you just said, not even just for the South Asian communities, for just people just realizing what that film did um, as a cultural movement as well, which is great. And still mention about how there's still lack of South Asian people in just British films in general, which is crazy as well. Yeah, so to show that. Yeah. Um, even though Kira Light, Kira Knightley's career went from there to there. Um, the other actors in the in the show as well, they rather went to TV or went to um, comedy or to drama, whatever it was, but it was just one of those things that still needed to be spoken about in that light as well, uh, which yeah. is fantastic to really see and to really hear as well. Right. Two more things. We've got your special project to mention in a second as well. But first I want to kind of know from you what's kind of, obviously we are a football and we are a mental health podcast as well, Miriam. I kind of wanted to know from your point of view as well, how important is it, how important is it to maintain your mental health to a certain structure? Um, because you're looking at screens all day, you're working all the time, you're traveling all the time as well. Is there a structure you have to your mental health uh, which you prioritize to help um, keep you not sane, but um, keep you in a healthy mindset? Mindset, basically, I would say. Um, I don't have like a structure, and I think I struggle with that. When you're a reporter, like every day is completely different, so there's mm. a lack of like schedule, which I really struggle with mentally because I like I don't I don't I don't like routine but I just like being comfortable and like knowing where my things are and um so it can be it can be a lot when you're just like driving to shoots all week or 
um you're abroad for like obviously it's incredible don't get me wrong but it can be a lot when you're constantly just moving and like my partner's the same like he's he's a, a football presenter as well so like there are weeks when like we don't see each other because like he'll be in like this week he's been at like Aston Villa he's been at Chelsea he's been at City and then next week I might be away for the whole week so it is a bit crazy but um I think for me like the, the whole mental health like anything to do with mental health in a work capacity like I have to be surrounded by people that I really trust and like I can pick up the phone and call them and be like this has happened what should I do or this has happened I'm really upset I'm really angry so those people are so important to me because um I just couldn't do it I couldn't do the job the job without having that and I think it can be lonely like when you're when you're doing this work it can be lonely and quite isolating and especially because like I said, like I, I do a lot of work that's to do with diversity and equality and I'm about to do a job um, which is to be a diversity and equality sports reporter. So that is like, it's incredible, but it's also pretty heavy. Yeah. And I have to be able to do other things outside of that because if you're just doing that 24-7, it's a lot, right? Like you're, you're, you kind of take on other people's anger and trauma in a way that's like obviously in a in a privileged way but like you're hearing about racism a lot of the time you're hearing about like structures and systems that are racist and it's it is heavy so I think just having other things to work on is really important for me to be able to just like turn off and feel like just happy and inspired which is um which is what it should be obviously like a lot of the a lot of the diversity and equality work is is like celebratory as well in, in what it is. But there are moments where it's like that racism project, for example, it was just 10 people and their experiences of racism in football. Like that's a lot. And, and you were empathising with them when you were listening to them as well. You, you kind of yeah. absorbed it and took ownership of it in the way when listening to them as well, because no one really had listened in that kind of way. So yeah. it's, and it, it can be it triggering as well. Yeah. If you've, if you've experienced like my, earliest experience of racism was through football which is why I don't go to men's games anymore really Mm. so like it can it can be heavy so I think just having other things is really important whether it's other things in work or other things outside of work um so yeah definitely nicely done nicely done indeed Miriam Again, I can't, I can't notice the waffle unless you're pointing it out. So I think you've done very well. Nah, you, um, nah, I waffle so much. That's okay. That's okay. You, you must be a world-class <laughs> waffler, like I suggested earlier in the podcast as well, <laughs> which is good fun. And yeah, just to finish off the podcast, first of all, it's been fantastic to speak to you as well. Uh, I did make the the boss comment earlier as well, but this is now your you time to, to introduce your new project now, Miriam Walker-Khan. What, what have you got in store uh, for 2023 and beyond? Okay, 2023. Well, from a work perspective, I'm going to Sky Sports News to be... So I think when this is out, I'll be there. I'll be like two days in as a new diversity... Their first diversity and um, equality... and Diversity and inclusion. Right, cut that a bit out. It's staying in. It's history right there. It's history. That's your introduction (laughs) to your new thing. It's history. Diversity and inclusion reporter. There we go. I love that. Uh, So I'm going to go do that. That'll be my day job. And then I'm setting up, hopefully this week, um, a little online platform with one aim just to tell the stories of South Asian women in sport. So all sports, 
all South Asian women, whether they're British, Pakistani, whether they're living in India, whether they're from Bhutan and they do archery. So it's kind of to celebrate just how vast South Asia is. Did you know there's like 2 billion people? Well, I feel like everyone knows. I tell people there's 2 billion people in South Asia. Yeah. That's 25% of the population. I know I knew it, but you know when you're like, 25% is a lot. And it's a lot that, it's a lot when you think about how often you're told South Asian women don't do sport. And it's a lot when you think about how many women do it in India, in Pakistan, in all those places. Obviously, there are loads of women that can't do it and that are, you know, blocked from doing it actively. But when you think about here and the systems here and the lack of British South Asians in sport for women, then you're like, what's going wrong there? Because it's not just, it's not the women it's not their fault. Obviously, we know that it's the fault of systems and stuff. So now I'm waffling, but it's to celebrate. Um, and also, South Asian it's, women it's, in sport. it's due to the fact that a lot of South Asian women from these countries have them emigrated to different places across the world as well. So if yeah. you're thinking of just two billion uh, people there as well, imagine where else they would be um, worldwide. We're so, everywhere, everywhere. Literally, it's crazy. Absolutely fantastic. But um, and you're well, going to be part of that. So I'll I'll finish. So you're going to be part of that because my aim with that is. Right now, obviously, I don't like it's just a platform and it's just like we don't have any money or anything like that. So I'm trying to bring in people who really want to get into the media and the sports media in particular who are South Asian and who want to talk about this. And um, if there's a way that I can repay you guys through mentoring or anything like that, like getting you help into the industry, that's what I'm aiming to do so that you guys can get a bit of experience writing stories, writing like digital captions and stuff. So, um, that's what it is. I just want to create a little core team and and like a little community. I guess that's what the the goal is. Who needs money when you got mentor uh, mentorship from Miriam Walker Khan? But obviously, we don't condone that. Like we <laughs> like, I'm not saying that's good. Like I'm saying it's not free labor. Me. It's not free labor at all. No, no, no. Bear with me, and hopefully one day I'll be able to make money to pay you guys because this like this is not an option. I'm so against unpaid work experience so it's literally while i launch it and then hopefully i'll be able to get a bit of money to pay you guys but right now it's just getting it off the ground nah, it's going to come off the ground in a long way and i'm looking forward to working with you in the future and in the present it's going to be great fun and even though i mentioned to you i had been listening and, and watching your work for a while now you have physical proof it's on record and it's going to be on the internet <laughs> um, to show that i have been actually following your work for quite a long time so I'm really glad that we've got this project um, to work on as well. And then hopefully it inspires future generations. Every every time I look at um, women in South Asian football or uh, South Asian athletes from wherever they are, it's great. And you can only want to inspire other people around you, your family, your friends, people's nieces, nephews, whoever it is. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do and who can be inspired by this in the future, which will be great as well. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I'm very grateful for you guys that you want to be part of it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but no, we'll leave the podcast there because I know you've got a very busy schedule ahead of yourself um, for the rest of the day, Miriam. But I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time. Um, I do now regret not speaking to you for longer at the British Asian Media Awards when we did meet, instead of just me being all shy and be like, hello, and then walking away <laughs> like a like a like a like a shy fan, which I oh, was at the time. No. I had to leave early because the next morning was Alexi Patea. So yeah, I, to, I, I remember. Off. I remember seeing that. I was like, "You were in Manchester yesterday, and now you're in Paris." <laughs> and then you were yeah. in Brighton the day afterwards as well. Oh, it was crazy! It was long. It was long. 
Yeah, because yeah, this is literally how we met for everyone listening. I, I met you when I came up the stairs in the reception bit, but you were with someone speaking, and I was kind of like, hello. I was like, hello, and then you're like, hi. And then I wanted to carry on speaking, but then you were still in a conversation. I just walked away shy because I didn't want to interrupt. So I was like, I'll wait, I'll wait till late. I'll wait till later. And then later never came. So oh, no, it's actually it's actually here now, which is which is a case. So um, yeah, win, I'm win, sorry it say. took so long to do this as well. Like it's it's just mad when you're trying to when you're trying to plan things and then you're you get sent out on a story or you get a shoot or whatever. So um, I've really enjoyed having these two weeks off and just being able to do this kind of stuff. It's great. You need a, you need you need that respite every now and then um, to make it yeah. easier for yourself as well, which is great fun as well. One last question from me before we wrap up the podcast: Who's going to win the WSL um, this season? Chelsea. I still, the Man end. United. Yeah, it's, I, who, I want who normally wins it? Yeah, exactly. Chelsea. And who uh, was like? Listen, nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go to it. But I thought you were going to start something. But carry on. No, Man United are not going to win the WSL. No. Man United are, I have so much respect for them, right? But they are nowhere near the level that we are. And they've done amazingly, but they're not going to, they're not going to surpass us at that level. Time will tell, time will tell. There's, yeah. there's, there's a longer season ahead as well, which is great to see. So I'm looking Come forward to seeing Come back to me in a few months and we'll see what happens. I mean, I think by like two, in, in two weeks, we'll know that we'll know where Man United will be in the, in the end of the season as well. So, Long, long time to see how Man United do in this women's uh, Super League as well. They will win a trophy one day. I definitely believe it. They're, they're, they've done incredibly, but, you know, maybe next year. Maybe. There's always next year um, for Man United, which is the case. But no, uh, Miriam Walker-Khan, thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely to speak to you. And just leave a note um, for us as well. So where can we find this new project um, that you've got coming up and where can we follow on social media? Where can we learn more about it? Um, we'll leave that as a tagline, which will be good fun. So where are we going to find you, Miriam Walker-Khan, for this new project? So you can get you can go at browngirlsport underscore or browngirlsport.com. <laughs> browngirlsport.com or hopefully on Twitter and TikTok. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got some big projects coming up. We've got some big projects. So uh, follow us now. Like those memes you see on social media, we're cooking. We're actually cooking right now. Yeah, we're plotting. Like we're as plotting. James we're would say, we're plotting. Yeah. We're scheming, yeah. which is good fun. Um, but no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Miriam Walker-Khan, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you. Um, officially, once again, on our podcast, it's been great. Everyone have a lovely week and take care and we'll see you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.